0: If you brought a copy of Scripture with you, you can find the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, one of the most popular, well known, and glorious passages in all of the New Testament. In the dawn of the last century, around 1900, the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, speaking like a visionary, Said these words. He said, I consider that the chief dangers which will confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and Heaven without hell. Well, he certainly spoke truth, didn't he? And that's why we go verse by verse through Scripture, so that we don't cut corners, so that we speak truth. And last week, we spoke this truth. Let's remind ourselves, chapter 2 and verse 1, if you're in Christ, this was you. This is written to those who are in Christ as a reminder. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And as John pointed out last week, That we, before we're in Christ, and that means some of you who are presently in this condition right now, here in this room or watching online, you're still there. You are dead. You are a dead person walking. But just because you're dead, as was so well pointed out, doesn't mean you're not animated. Doesn't mean you're not passionate. Doesn't mean you're not following something. You're following the world. You're following Satan. You're following the desires of your own flesh. What an indictment. And as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, Jason reminded us uh, uh, several weeks ago, remember who you are, right? I then followed up by reminding you, remember whose you are. John last week reminded us, remember who you were, if you are in Christ. And today we can say, remember what God has done. That's what we're going to be looking at, the balance of this section, verses 4 through 10. Uh, this section we're about to look at is sort of a is is an antithesis to Job. You remember the story of Job. In the second act of Job, uh, Satan is allowed to have at Job, and if you remember, in staccato like. Uh, fashion, there are four different messengers come, one back to back, all bearing horrible information. Job, all your cattle were killed. Job, all your produce was wiped out. Job, all your sheep are done. Job, all your camels are, and by the way, all the servants around him are dead too. And oh, by the way, a tornado just hit the house and your kids are all dead. This passage here, it's just, I mean, if you read that, you, you can't, you can't get around the emotion of it all. But this is like the opposite, the very opposite, because after this indictment that the first three verses John looked at last week lays down of those who are outside of Christ, children of wrath, he says, but God, but God be rich in mercy, but God who's Rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. But God, who's rich in mercy because of his love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ. By grace are you saved. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, which he loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and has raised us up with him. Oh, we're not done. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. This cavalcade, this this avalanche of truth of grace that we just sang about is the greatest turning point in all of scripture you'll never find one sharper than this one this is the very summation of salvation god creating in us through his son wait for it his masterpiece Why? Why would he do that? Why would he do that for you? Why would he do that for me? You ever ask that question? You ever ask somebody that? Why'd you do that? Anybody ever ask you that question? Why, why did you do that? You know why, why does one lover spend a whole bunch of money on another lover? Why does a parent spend a ton of money on their kid? Why does an entrepreneur sacrifice capital by investing in his business? Why does an athlete give up partying and activities and friends to do extra workouts? The answer to all of those questions, and a thousand more like him, all the answer always starts with two words: so that. So that. So that she'll know that I really love her. So that my kids will be successful. So that my business will thrive. So that I might become a champion. So why would God pour out the richness of his mercy and the greatness of his love and the outpouring of his grace upon rebellious people like you and me? So that, right here, so that in the ages to come, in verse 7, in the coming ages, he might show the, say the word, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. That's the reason he does it, right there. And you can say, thank you, Jesus. That's why. So taking this passage in verses 4 through 7, I want to, I want to give you four immeasurable things God does to make believers his masterpiece, and even uses the word masterpiece in this passage of scripture. Here's the first first thing. Here's the first immeasurable thing God does. He makes us come alive. You see that in verse five? He makes us to come alive together in Christ, with Christ. It's hard to love dead things. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, just the other day, my wife, My wife, she loved the flowers on our back deck, and after a couple of bone-chilling nights, she looked out there the other day, and she goes, I think I'll just throw those away. Now, why would she say that? Because they were dead, and that's what we do with dead things. We throw them away, right? Right? Not Jesus. Jesus loves dead things and makes them come alive. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't throw them away. He makes them come alive. I I love John 11, the raising of Lazarus. Do you remember the story? He's been dead for four days. Jesus finally shows up to Mary and Martha, comes up to the tomb and says, take that stone away. Martha goes, whoa, Jesus. He's been in there for like four days. By now, he, he stinks by now. And remember what Jesus said? Didn't I tell you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God? because why? Because Jesus loves dead things that's why. Matt Chandler is the pastor of the village church in Texas and a uh, large, large church and he's a he's a prolific author and speaker, and he's very well known in conservative evangelical circles, but in part, one of the sermons that made him well known was a sermon he told where he was younger, much younger he told this. He told about being younger himself, and just himself, just kind of getting going in his own walk with God. He went to this evangelistic meeting for young people, and he brought a friend with him, and this gal had been abused, and she had been involved in lots of sexual immorality. She was just really, really just a broken person. Unbeknownst to Matt Chandler, the speaker was addressing sexual purity. And as the sermon went on, the, the, the angrier Chandler got because he was just lamb blasting these kids about staying pure and nothing wrong with telling people they need to be pure. But he took a rose, a beautiful rose, and he gave it to the kids. And he said, pass this around, touch it, look at it, smell it. I want you to see it. It was a very, very, very clever thing. And as that rose made it around the crowd, as he continued to preach, Chandler got angry got angry because he could see what was going on. By the time that rose got back to the speaker, there was almost nothing left of it, like one little petal. and he's talking on sexual purity, and he looked at these kids and he said, who in their right mind would ever want this rose? And Chandler goes, Jesus! Jesus will take the rose! Oh, I mean, every time I see that, I go, yes! Because Jesus takes dead things, and out of his love makes them come alive. And so verse 5 says, by grace you have been saved. And that's what it means to be saved. Being dead, you come alive. By the way, the word saved is the word sozo in verse 5. It's the same word in verses 8 and 9. We know this. You've memorized it. For by grace you've been saved. Same word, saved tense perfect tense. The the perfect tense is is a past action that has a continuous result. In other words, if you are saved by the grace of God, that will never change. You are safe and secure in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own selves. It is the gift of God, because grace, by definition, is a gift. It's not a result of works. Why? So that you can't boast about it. That's why. We have nothing to boast about. Salvation is purely an act of God's grace. The cause of salvation is grace. The means. Of salvation is faith. That's you and me responding, simply responding to the promise of God in Jesus Christ who died for your sins, who was buried, who rose again. You turn in faith, you turn in repentance and faith to him, and you are saved. The cause of salvation is grace. The means of salvation is faith, and the result of salvation is you come alive. Amen. Now, I'm in my 24th year here. And but for all of our time, I've always sat right where my wife is sitting right now, right in the second it used to be pews here. We always sat in the second one when we replaced it with chairs, did the same thing. But we always sat in that second row right there. And our son John, he would sit there and be just slumped over like this. Every once in a while his mom would pinch him. And he'd sit up a little straight. But there was a gal. And she'll enjoy this. I won't tell you who it was. Who always sat right behind us. And she just, she gets so mad at him. She come to me, Pastor, you preach these rich messages. He doesn't even seem to care. And I looked at her. She goes, I just want to bop him. And I thought, well, you can bop him all you want. He's not going to respond. He's dead. He's dead. Just like some of you are dead right now. It doesn't matter what I say. I could do cartwheels up here. it wouldn't do any make any difference to you you're dead spiritually dead and last I checked dead people don't respond unless God puts life in them and that's what Jesus is really really good at and how thankful that one day God got a hold of that dead kid and made him alive amen you come to Jesus he makes you alive okay so these immeasurable things, the second immeasurable thing that God does to believers to make Him His masterpiece is He raises us up from the dead. You see that there? Verse 6, and raised us up with Him. He raised us up with Him. Have you ever noticed in the, if you, as you study the life of Jesus, Jesus never attended a funeral that He didn't break up? I mean, dead people just always came alive when He was there. Every time he made dead people come uh, come alive, he didn't just make them come alive, he raised them up. Remember the story of Jairus' daughter? You can find that in Mark's gospel. She's dead. Jesus doesn't just make her come alive. The Bible says he takes her by the hand and he raises her up. And therein you have a picture of what he does with you and with me when he saves us. This is exactly what he does. Pray the prayer works when life, you you say, well, I prayed a prayer. I don't care what prayer you prayed. If you didn't repent and trust Jesus, you have no life. We know it works when when life is the result. The deadness is gone. The lights come on. You don't just wake up. You get up because you've been raised. I had the joy of meeting with a bunch of guys early in the morning, 6 o'clock every Friday morning with a bunch of military dudes that are one by one coming to Jesus. It's exciting. A couple of them are going to get baptized in this service next week, so hold your horses. And uh, so one of, them, I, one of them, I said to him, I said here you know, about a month ago, I said yeah, I, he'd heard me preach, he'd heard testimonies, he'd been in Bible studies, he's hearing truth. I asked him, he said, what are you going to trust Jesus? He said, look, I don't want to... He had a swear word come out of his mouth, but remember he was a dead guy at the time. So he basically saying, look, I'm not ready. I said, okay, okay. And so we were together at 6 o'clock in the morning just a couple weeks ago. And he says, hey, I want to say something. I go, you have the floor. He goes, I want to declare to everybody right now that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I, well, that will wake you up at 6 in the morning. That was awesome. Right there, he openly declared his faith in Jesus. Because if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You'll be saved. I love, I love, John chapter eleven. That's the raising of Lazarus, and we just alluded to it. I'll allude to it again. I love the forty fourth verse because this is after Jesus says, "Lazarus, come forth." Remember that? And Lazarus comes and stands out. Remember he he, got, he, he wakes up and he gets up, and then remember he's got. He's still got the rags on him. He still has the, the burial. And remember what Jesus does? He goes, watch this. Zing! Spings, spins him like a top, and all the rags come off. Is that what happens? No, no, no. Uh, Jesus wasn't into that. kind. That would be cool. <laughs> that would be cool. No, instead, Jesus says, take those things off him. I love that. I can't put life in you. I can't raise you up. I can't give you life. Only Jesus can do that. But I can help you take off your grave clothes. That's what discipleship's all about. That's my job. Teaching you truth, inculcating you with truth. But only Jesus can make you come alive. Only He can raise us up. Praise the Lord that He He can and He does. Thirdly, the four immeasurable things that God does to make believers his masterpiece. The third one is he seats us next to Jesus in heaven. Look at that. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, the, just the idea of sitting or seated is a, is a powerful thought when it comes to Jesus. And you think about the, the earthly tabernacle... Uh, that the Jews had, had no chairs. Uh, the the priests would mill about. There were tables. There was, a show, uh, there was an altar. There was a, a basin where they'd wash their hands. There was a candelabra. There was, a, you know, there was an altar of incense. But there was not a chair. It was a perpetual reminder to these priests that their job was never done. They had to go back and do it again, do it again, do it again. And then Jesus comes, the great high priest, and the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1 and again in chapter 10, and on the very night in which I was saved, my brother Mike quoted to me or read to me Hebrews 10 verse 11 where it says, every priest stands, stands daily and ministers repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man after offering one sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of God. When you sit down, the job is done. It's over. And Jesus Christ has done it all. Our great high priest is seated in heaven, interceding for those who will come to him by faith. And here's the deal. We get to sit with him. We get to sit with them. Look what he said. Look what it says again. He's raised us up and seated us, heiress tense, past tense, with him. It's as if it's already been done. It's there. It's a done deal if you know Christ. You're already seated with him, positionally speaking. The year before COVID, uh, my wife and I are. Cub fans, we took some friends that were Royals fans down to Kansas City for a Cubs versus Royals game. I actually bought the tickets in May. The game wasn't until August. But from that day that I reserved those tickets, that seat was mine. And that's exactly the idea here. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're as good as there, amen? But if you're outside of Christ and still unresponsive, well, you're not there. There's no place for you. God is working his masterpiece in those he saves through his son. And these four immeasurable things God does to make us his masterpiece, the fourth one is this, he'll show us off for all eternity. Both then and now. I look at verse seven. Look at look at it says, and so that there's the big so that so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's the so that. Anybody ever play show and tell? Raise your hand if you done show and tell. Okay, lots of you have. All right. So show and tell. I thought I'd do that. Back in the fall of 1996, uh, I pastored the Holmes Baptist Church. So I started the Homesteaders for older people. Get it? Home. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, just, uh, so the older people, and we got together, and we did fun things. So on this night, I said, okay, I want everybody. It's going to be a show-and-tell night. We're going to do it just like you did when you were kids. These guys were all 60, these, well, 70s, 80s. They were older. And they came. They brought it all. They brought their jewelry. They brought their coin collection. They brought their. They one guy brought his knives, uh, yarn, the you know the post book sticker things, ladies, whatever. <laughs> they did their show and tell, and they were just having a blast. And finally, one of them says, "Well, Pastor Pat, where is your show and tell?" And I said, "I thought you'd never ask." And I walked up to the stage and opened up the door. And out came Marilyn Swanson, my brand new fiance. And they went crazy. They went nuts. They started clapping and cheering because they were the first besides our family that got to hear about this. They just went nuts. It was the ultimate show and tell. And we had a blast. And they loved her. Just like you do. Now, social media has taken show and tell to a whole new level. Would you agree? Why do you post pictures on social media? Or to put it differently, what's your so that? So that I can show off my kids. So that I can show off my body. What's so funny? I'm not doing that. So they can show off my weight loss. So they can show off my accomplishment. So I can show off my friends, my home pro- uh, project, my business. So I can show off my love for my spouse. Not a bad thing. But can I just say something? Some of you are making some of us suffer show off fatigue. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Paul said, God forbid that I should show off. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the ultimate Jesus juke right there, huh? I mean, some things really are worth showing off, like what Jesus does. Amen? Imagine back to Lazarus. He raises him. They take the clothes off him. And he's alive and the Jews hated Jesus for this. The very next chapter tells us that people were coming from hither and yon when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They they came, look at this, not only on account of him, but also to to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. This is like we had got to see the guy who was dead who's now alive and this is what happens when somebody is really raised from the dead spiritually as well. Look at that. Look at that work of God. That's worth showing off. The resurrected Lazarus was a foretaste of what God is going to do in all of eternity by displaying those he's resurrected to glory. And Verse 7 uses the word, it's immeasurable. These riches, what he's doing, it's immeasurable. Now, something that's immeasurable, this is rather profound, you can't measure it. All eternity is going to be a perpetual show and tell of the immeasurable grace of God. How cool is that? Last week, our community group got into a discussion of heaven and what happens in eternity and what about the memories we bring with us what about the heartaches what about the tragedies what about the losses how do we deal with those in eternity i went back to my wife i said you know when god brought Marilyn into my life he didn't take away my memory of my first wife but he did take away my sadness I think, that, I think that in heaven, we will be so overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord, it will overshadow every hurt you're experiencing, every loss you've incurred, every tragedy that has occurred in your life, every sadness. Joy itself will be the handkerchief that God uses to wipe every tear. Now, why would God... Why would God create beings, personal, living, breathing, image of God-bearing people that would rebel and despise and reject him and defy him and refuse to even believe in him and then do all of this to save them? Why would he do that? Because God is love. That's why. He is the essence of love. And love, listen to this, love by definition must give. And since God is self-sufficient and has no needs, as Timothy Keller says, God must have created us not to get joy, but to give it. You can say the same thing about love. God created us in order to show off his great love, and he did it when he first sacrificed his own son on the cross. He doesn't have to prove his love for you or for me anymore. Amen? Christ died on the cross for you and for me. That is the evidence of God's love. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so for all eternity in a sense that will be in a continual praise of the of the great love of God. Then and now. You see God isn't waiting until heaven to put his masterpieces on display. If anyone's in Christ, they are what? New creation. New creation. All things are passed away. All things have become. He does this every time he saves someone. He puts them on display. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are his, literally, work of art. The Greek word is poema. We get our word poem from this word. And it's only used one other time in all the New Testament, this word. We are his work of art. We are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God foreordained that we should walk in them. Amen? The only other time that word is used is in Romans 1, verse 20, where God uses his creation, his great creation, his masterpiece in creation, albeit now tainted by sin, as a drawing card something that causes people to be drawn to him. Even his eternal Godhead is is on display, Romans 1 says, and uses this word. We have some friends right now that are in Athens, Greece, and and they were at the Parthenon just the other day. Uh, There are many architects and engineers that consider the most perfect structure in the world to be the Parthenon. Architectural and engineering masterpiece. But God does one better when he saves you. If God's creation was a masterpiece, his new creation is an even greater masterpiece. And he's still doing it Every time he saves someone, every time he takes those of you still dead in your trespasses and your sins and makes you alive in Jesus, you then become God's masterpiece, his work of art. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus has gone before us. And he's saving a seat for those of you who get your ticket in advance. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your incredible goodness. We thank you for your rich mercy. We thank you for your great love. Thank you for being the master of masterpieces. Thank you, Lord, for doing what only you can do. Take dead people and not just bop them on the head, but change them in their hearts and make them come alive. Lord, there are people in this room right now, as I pray, that are still dead. You know who you are. You've not been responsive to spiritual things ever in your life. Oh, you might not be slumping down in the chair, but you might as well be. You're religious, but you're not righteous. You have the lingo, but you don't have the Lord. You're not saved. If the love of God is speaking to your heart right now and God is making you come alive, respond in faith. Respond in faith. Believe the promise of God that he'll save you. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, believe the gospel. And for those of us, Lord, who are in Christ, What a great reminder today of your immeasurable kindness to us. Help us to go in humility and great joy. Demonstrating on our own individual easels your glory in our lives so that others might be drawn to you until the day we sit with you, Lord Jesus. And enjoy your company forever, we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand.